Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, pour Your Spirit out upon us. Fulfill the promises You've given to us in our baptisms. And open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to know Your Word more deeply. To rejoice in the work You are accomplishing through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to embrace that, to cling to it, to make it our own afresh. To know that Your good promises are for those who look to You, who look to Your Son, Jesus, who has taken away the sin of the world. So guide us by that Spirit that You have poured upon us through Him, that we might know Him and You, our Father. Through Your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And here we are again, hearing of John the Baptist today. Last week we heard a lot about him. There in Mark 1, as we came to understand more of who He was in and of Himself as He was connected to the coming One. And today we hear more about John. However, not His grand proclamations of Him going out and crying out, Repent! Repent! Him seeing the Pharisees or the Sadducees coming out to Him and said, saying to them, Who told you to come out? Or him saying that the axe is ready to chop the tree down in judgment to come. When I think of John the Baptist, I think of things like that. Last week we heard deeply of how he was the prophesied coming one to prepare the way. We saw how St. Mark carefully pivoted Jesus into the place of Yahweh as he was talking about the one who was crying out in the wilderness. Mark did that in order that we would know that Jesus is God in the flesh. We heard briefly of John's calling in that. And today we focus in and see another side of John the Baptist. As I said, we don't hear of him proclaiming law. We don't hear of him proclaiming judgment for sin. We don't hear of him speaking of God coming in righteous judgment against all the people. Instead, we get to hear a gospel proclamation. St. John, our writer, doesn't focus on that which we already know, which he knows we know. He knows we've heard those stories about John the Baptist. So instead, he turns and focuses on John from a different direction. He focuses on his humility. He focuses on how John continually points away from himself. And instead points to the great one who brings greatness that only God can see. And the reason God can see it and why He is the only one is because that great one who is coming will unite Himself to the lowly. He unites Himself to the lowly that those lowly ones would be lifted up in salvation. And that's what St. John is doing as he describes to us and talks to us and tells us about John the Baptist. That with humility comes a hidden greatness. Humility is where we cling to where God has called us. Humility is that response to the God who calls us into where we are. We aren't seeking after greatness. But nonetheless, in humility, we had the great one flung upon us. 
We receive where God has called us only through that humility, only through that sense that God Himself is in control, that He is the living one who orders all things, and in that ordering has seen fit to even organize us according to His will. Humility leads us to be His people where and when we are. And that's what we see in John the Baptist today. We see that's what he has done, that he was a humble servant who pointed from himself to that great and glorious one who was bringing salvation into the world. And that humility, we remember him to this day, forever immortalized in the inspired word. And thus today we might learn from him who was to come and not learn of John. And so likewise, we too receive humbly, not seeking greatness, but seeking the Lord in where we are. That we might know this great one, that all earthly greatness pales before. That all earthly greatness withers before in the end. Greatness is not to be sought, but humility always, that we would then receive and rejoice in the great one. That great one who is given to us by that simple faith that undergirds that humility. And so we hear of John this day and his humility and the hidden greatness that he has. And I want us to back up for just a moment as we enter into this text more deeply to hear what St. John said in verse 6. He said that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all who might that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. In the midst of that introduction in the Gospel of St. John, John points us to John the Baptist. He is speaking of Jesus, the immortal Son, the eternal Son, who is with the Father in the beginning, who is the great light shining into the darkness, And then he shifts gears and says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. What I love about that is how he just simply introduces him. He's talking about Jesus and then all of a sudden he just shifts and says, oh, and there is this man who is sent from God whose name was John and he came to be a witness of this coming one. What I learned this week about John is that his name means God is gracious. It's such a beautiful name to hear. To suddenly realize that John's name means God is gracious for that is what he was doing. He was coming while proclaiming repentance, while proclaiming the law, while proclaiming the wrongdoings of the people. He was constantly pointing them back toward repentance, back to the reality that the Father had promised. That those who trust in Him, those who look to His promises, those who confess their sins will know His forgiveness. That God is gracious despite all of our waywardness. And here is the Baptist whose name is God, is gracious, proclaiming all of what God is about to do. I just want us to remember that as we hear about John's humility, that his name means God is gracious. Even his very name points us away from John into the glorious Great One who is coming into this world. And the first thing that we hear in our main part of our text today is John saying, I am not. Now the leaders in Jerusalem sent Jews sent priests and Levites to talk to John. John was there over past the Jordan. 
still baptizing people. The timing of when this happens, I discover, and we discover in verse 29, that the next day after this interview with the priests and Levites and these Pharisees, after this interview, he sees Jesus coming and he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on Him. When did the Spirit descend upon Jesus? At His baptism. And what immediately happened after Jesus was baptized? He was driven into the desert by that very Spirit. He was led and driven to go into temptation. And so this means that here, when these priests and Levites are coming to confront John and to speak with him and to figure out who he is, where he fits into this big messianic puzzle, it's after he baptized Jesus, after Jesus has gone into the wilderness. Because the day after this interview, he sees Jesus. Maybe it's Jesus returning from the wilderness, we're not sure, but nonetheless, Jesus has been baptized and gone into the wilderness and is returning when John is being interviewed in this moment. And so John's ministry is coming to an end. He has found the Messiah. He has baptized the Messiah and seen the Messiah anointed with the Spirit. And so these come and ask, Who are you? And we hear John confess, I am not the Christ. Throughout this text, throughout these passages, he starts off with saying, I am not, I am not, I am not. They're trying to pinpoint where he belongs in this redemptive history. And the first thing that he says before they could even get into further questions, he just simply looks at him and says, I am not the Christ. I know you come out here thinking I am, but I am not the coming one. I am not the anointed one. I am not the son of David coming into this world to throw off all the wicked empires, to throw off Satan and his minions from the people of God. I am not that one. I am not the Christ, he says. And so they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Which always creates some confusion for us because he's described as Elijah. In John, or in St. Luke chapter 1, the angel goes to Zechariah and says, you're going to conceive and have a son. You and your wife will have a son. And that angel says that your son, whose name is John, he will go before him, the Lord, in the spirit of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. St. Luke brings to us the words of the last chapter of Malachi when he begins describing the Elijah to come, that he will be one who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. John the Baptist will have that ministry that is described as being Elijah's ministry at the end of Malachi. And so we see John being put in that position of being Elijah in power, Elijah in spirit. Even Jesus Himself said, if you will have Him, John the Baptist is your Elijah. But here, John says, I am not Elijah. I am not this one that you thought was coming. I know Elijah was caught up into heaven and you believe that he is going to return here in these last days in his physical form. If that's what you think I am, I am not him. However, because of the witness of the angel, because of the witness of Jesus, we know that John fulfills that end time role of being Elijah. Because he comes in the power of Elijah. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. He comes as one proclaiming 
the law, proclaiming repentance, proclaiming the sins of the people, that they would turn away from them. That was Elijah's job, was to confront the people and call them back to Yahweh. And that's what a John the Baptist is doing, just like Elijah. John the Baptist has the power to preach and proclaim as Elijah did back in his day. But he is not Elijah returned to life in a new form or Elijah come down from heaven as some Jews thought would happen. And so he denies being the literal Elijah alongside his being the spiritual Elijah to prepare the way of Jesus. And so then they ask him, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, I am not. I am not the prophet. That is, that is what Moses spoke of. In Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 18, Moses spoke of a prophet who would arise after him and have the words of Yahweh in his mouth to speak to the people, to command the people to obey and to remind them of Yahweh's covenant and promises. And so some thought that this prophet that Moses spoke of would be a forerunner of the Messiah, and others believed, I think rightly, that that prophet was the Messiah. But here John denies being that prophet rightly. For he is not that prophet that Moses spoke of. He is not the prophet who is going to arise and do the work of the Messiah. Yes, he has the words of Yahweh in his mouth, but not in the way that the Messiah will. And so John denies, I am not, I am not, I am not, over and over and over. And so they are exasperated. And who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. And so now we hear him say, I am a voice. We hear him deny being the Christ, being Elijah, being the prophet. And instead, he says, I am a voice. There in verse 23, I am the voice of, a, of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he points to them to the reality that he is but a forerunner. He is but the one preparing the way, crying out, prepare yourselves, make straight the highways of the Lord. John has all the opportunity in the world to point at himself and to say, look at how great I am, and yet he moves forward in humility saying, I am but a voice. In the midst of everyone trying to pinpoint where John fits into that messianic world, he constantly pointed away from himself and pointed to the one to come. I am the voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. John was merely a voice crying out about the Lord coming. As much as it was necessary for the people to see and identify Him, yes, He must be seen by the people, but He saw Himself as but a voice. He spoke about the preparation that needed to be done. He spoke about repentance in the light of God's pending action. The great event of Yahweh's going into the world was about to happen. And so John says, pay no heed to me. I'm a mere messenger and a voice. But pay heed to my message, my very words to you. And so there, wrapped up in John's humility, is a hidden greatness. He's not seeking the limelight or notoriety. He's not proclaiming himself, but he is proclaiming the Lord. He had a burning in his bones for God's word to confront the people with their need for preparation and repentance. He put before them their sinfulness so that they would be cut to the heart and thus repent 
and therefore accomplish that making straight the way for the Lord. Because in their repenting, they flattened the roadways into their hearts, thus making a way for the Lord to enter in them, for the Lord to come to them. He calls upon the people to see the clutter that's in themselves, to see all of their distractions, to see all the ramparts and strongholds that they had built up that were there to keep the Lord out. John's words would lay siege and smash the walls of our hearts. If only we would hear. If only we could hear what He is saying this day. And so last we hear Him say something else. After He says that I am not Elijah or the Christ or the prophet, and He says I am a voice, He then will go on to say that there is one among you though. There is one who is among you even now. Because all these priests and Levites ask Him, well, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this thing that we have always associated with the end times world, with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of Yahweh? You're baptizing people for repentance. But you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet. And so John says in verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. There is one among you even now. In this moment where he could point to himself and speak of the great and glorious revelations he has received from Yahweh in heaven to know that he was to go out and baptize all who would come to him. What does he say? He says, there's one among you that you don't know. There is one among you who is the one that I am pointing to. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. We heard that last week too. That John doesn't even see himself worthy of being the lowliest of low servants. The servant who would bend down and unstrap the shoe of his master. John can't even be that. He is so low before this great and glorious one. With all of his power, what does he do? Point from himself to the coming one. In these coming verses, we hear of John's joy at the reality that his time is ending and that one he looked forward to has arrived and he points us all to him. We hear of him seeing Jesus coming and proclaiming, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's something we confess every single week in our liturgy. Every week in our worship, after the blessing of the communion elements, We say, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Grant us peace. So important are John's words when he sees Jesus behold the Lamb of God. That is part of our weekly liturgy. It's part of our communion liturgy always. To proclaim that Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Constantly pointing from Himself back to Jesus. And even in chapter 3, An alternate reading for this day. John says that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. It was His joy to release His ministry. The phrasing is that of putting Jesus first even. He doesn't say, I must decrease so that Jesus may increase. He says, He must increase. Jesus must increase. Jesus is first and He is the one who is to increase 
and I decrease. I be made less and less of. Jesus is first and foremost, and I must be forgotten about. I must ever decrease that all might see the glorious one, that all might call upon him who is the salvation of the world, who is grace incarnate, and even more, who is God incarnate. That is what John does in his humility. He lowers himself more and more and more in order that Jesus would be seen more and more and more. John removes himself in order that all would look at Jesus. Humility points from John to Jesus, from oneself to the greater one. And in the beauty of that humility is the reality that that great one will bestow greatness on the humble. Is a greatness that is hidden from the world's eyes. It is seen by those who have heavenly eyes though. We are given a heavenly greatness that the world cannot see. That's hidden from the world, but it's seen by God and Jesus and by all who are His. By all who have received that same humility. Who have been given that humility. Who have been given God's grace. Who have received it as poor sinners. Humility leads to hidden greatness that Jesus and the Father and the people see. But nonetheless, John remains important because of that witness to Jesus. He speaks to them. He tells them who Jesus is. He tells them that there is one among you now that you don't know, that you can't hear because you don't hear Me. Martin Luther paraphrases Jesus' words like this or John's words like this in one of his sermons. He says, John said, I am going before Him and preparing the way for Him. He is coming after Me. If you do not listen to Me and listen to what I am preaching, you will not find Him. John's words pointed the people to Jesus. But the priests and the Levites and so many had hardened their hearts. Luther goes on to say of those priests and Levites that they are those who have hearing ears and yet... They do not hear. They have too many other ideas about the Christ. They have other thoughts that crowd out the reality of one who would save them before He casts final judgment upon the earth. And that is the danger we face today as we resist humility. We resist hearing what the Spirit says. We resist hearing the Word of God. The Spirit speaks and we ignore Him because our minds cannot fathom what He is saying. We have our own ideas that we are caught in. We want our own ideas for what God's Word says. We end up trying to redefine and recast God's Word to be pleasant to those who reject it. That we forget that only by the true Word of God's testimony can a heart be changed. Can our hearts be changed this day? Can we move forward in humility? Can we cry out, O oh Lord, make me a humble one. Make me one who can receive humility and receive Your grace. Make me one who will let go of making myself great. But will point from myself to the great one. Before our minds, we should always be praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As well as open my ears to truly hear what you say. That's what John is reminding us of today in his humility. In his lowering himself down. 
He is reminding us that we need Jesus. We need this Son of God, who is God incarnate, to bring mercy to us sinners. To be the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. To be the one who opens our ears to hear what He is saying. To hear what His Word is saying. To hear this inspired Word given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Lord's chosen ones in the past. That here we have in the Word of God, in this written Word, the Spirit Himself acting on us. And so when we approach this Word and we hear of John the Baptist, we have to approach with humility. And if we know that we don't have humility, we ask for humility. We say, O Lord, You demand humility. You demand that we come as humble ones who but receive from You. Make me into that one. Make me one like John who would do nothing but receive, who would do nothing but lower himself before the coming one in order that the coming one would be seen more gloriously. In order that we would all find joy in that glorious one who is Jesus. And that's where humility leads along with that hidden greatness is true joy for us. True joy to know that all that is broken within us gets healed by this coming one. All that is sinful within us, all of our wayward ways, all of our misdeeds, all of our desires to break and throw away God's law are undone by this coming one. As we receive this coming one in humility, we discover joy in the midst of that hidden greatness. That we don't need to be great in the world's eyes anymore. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. We only need to make the name of Jesus known. And thus we are released into our vocations, we are released into the world, into our relationships to point people to Jesus, to show forth love, to confess that we are broken sinners who need this coming one. And we find joy in a hidden greatness with that. And so this day here, that John is pointing us away from himself and thus telling us to quit looking at ourselves, know that you are a sinner who needs the coming one. And so look for that coming one. Look for the one who brings healing. Look for the one who brings salvation. Look for the one who takes away the sin of the world. And I tell you this, if He takes away the sin of the world, then even your sin, regardless of what it is, is taken by Him. And so confess that He is the Christ. Confess that He is your Savior. And find Him bringing you greater humility, but also bringing you His greatness. For He unites Himself to you this day through faith, through remembering your baptism, through His promises, He unites Himself. Through receiving the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus through this bread and wine, He unites His greatness and hides it in your humility that we would go forth in power to proclaim and to make known this coming One who is our Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.